This is Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Just to let you know, we have a vodcast on YouTube where you can watch the edited highlights of the episode. And don't forget to subscribe. If you fancy the full audio version, symbols, just keep listening. Oh, and if you've got a second, please give us five stars and a review. It really helps us stand out and get this important message to even more people that need to hear it the most. Meantime, enjoy today's episode. My guest today is Laura Davis. She is the author of The Burning Light of Two Stars, the story of her loving yet tumultuous relationship with her mother and six other non-fiction books, including The Courage to Heal, Allies in Healing, I Thought We'd Never Speak Again, and Becoming the Parent You Want to Be. Her groundbreaking books have been translated into 11 languages and sold 1.8 million copies. In addition to writing books that inspire and change people's lives, the work of Laura's heart is to teach. For more than 21 years, she's helped people find their voices, tell their stories, and hone their craft. Laura loves creating supportive, intimate writing communities online, in person, and internationally. You can find out more about her workshops, books, her memoir, and all of her retreats from her website, www.lauradavis.net. I think for me, it really speaks to the incredible resilience of human beings. We're able to regenerate, recreate, and find new pathways, even if some doors are now closed to us. She remained loyal to her dead father as opposed to her living daughter. And it it really cemented um, an estrangement that was in the making already. I feel like people learn the most uh, when it's on the back of a story. You know, I think storytelling is incredibly powerful. Can you caretake a parent who betrayed you in the past? Absolutely. And I think that's a question that, you know, many people face as they, you know, are dealing with elderly parents. But I gained the world and lost my family. I think it's possible to move on and let go of the damage, um, even if things are not fully resolved. So welcome to the show. Lovely to see you. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, enjoying my summer as much as I can. Um, just going out in nature. Um, and just really enjoying beauty. Uh, that's that's my coping strategy for everything happening in the world right now. Sounds pretty much very similar to mine, I have to say. So because the show is called Unbroken, the first question that I always ask all of my guests is, what does the word unbroken mean to you? I think for me, it, it really speaks to the incredible resilience of human beings. You know, that, that things that um, are broken or damaged... Um, you know, can rejuvenate and don't always go back to the way they were. Um, I'd like to think that in some cases, in many cases, it's possible to be stronger at the broken places. So for me, unbroken means that, you know, no matter what we have experienced in our lives, uh, we're able to regenerate, recreate and find new pathways, even if some doors are now closed to us. I love that being stronger in the broken places is, is kind of exactly what I feel. So we are going to discuss really your, your recent book and your journey with your mum, but um, it kind of all goes back really to being abused um, by your grandfather, your mum's father, when you were just a little girl really, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was, um, you know, a devastating experience um, that I had as a little girl 
Um, and I, I, like many survivors of sexual abuse, my way of dealing with the trauma was to suppress it, to repress it, and um, to just bury it in my body and in my subconscious. And um, memories of that abuse started to surface when I was 27 years old. And it was in the, in the context of my first really committed love relationship. And I think for me, it was when sexuality and intimacy got put together Mm -hmm. Those memories just immediately started to surface. Um, and for me, that was, it was devastating to feel like in some ways it made sense. My whole life made sense because it explained a lot of things I had never understood about myself and the things I, that had challenged me. And on the other hand, it was completely devastating because it changed my whole view of the world and my family. Um, I think one of the hardest things for me was not just dealing with the implications of the abuse and the after effects, but what happened when I told my family, particularly my mother, um, when I came to her with this information, which I was terrified to tell her for good reason. It was, you know, in a, a long distance phone call. Um, she turned on me mm -hmm. and she remained loyal to her dead father as opposed to her living daughter. And it, it really cemented um, an estrangement that was in the making already, you know, a, a challenging relationship, but that was kind of the final straw. Um, and it led to us really being split apart and on opposite sides of this divide. You know, I said it happened. She said it didn't. Mm -hmm. And it's very powerful in the book when you say that she chose her dead father over a living daughter. Those words just really jumped off the pages to me because it's one thing to go through, I'm a survivor as well, so it's one thing to go through the sexual trauma, but then to not be believed and not be supported. Eight years since my mother died. And so I was thinking a lot about her yesterday. And, you know, now that so much time and space has passed, and I think in part from writing the memoir, which really enabled me to see her as the incredibly complex, dynamic human being she was, you know, not my enemy, but a very complicated woman, just like mm -hmm. I am a very complicated woman. You, you wrote this Bible, but um, it caused great shame to your mother and to your aunt. They called it your hate book, didn't they? She didn't yeah. approve of it. Even <laughs> yeah, after, millions benefited from it. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's a, a challenge many writers face. You know, you can, as I said in the book, I said, I gained the world and lost my family. Yeah you know, for that period of time, which was, you know, I, I had no idea that there would ever be any reconciliation down the line um, for, for, you know, years and years later. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very devastating because to my family, not all of them, but my mother's side of the family, you know, the people who were connected to this grandfather, um, for them, you know, I was making up lies. And then, and then once The Courage to Heal, which was the book I wrote with Ellen Bass about the healing process, once that book became this kind of surprising runaway bestseller. Um, I was on national TV, you know, I was getting a lot of media and I was on national TV. So now it just made the, from their point of view, the betrayal, my betrayal, um, bigger. And it yes. created even more of a rift. So the book, while it was serving, you know, probably millions of women, I mean, I think because it got passed from hand to hand to hand to hand. So one book would influence many survivors, both women and men, I have to say, um, it was still creating this huge rift with my family, which had been the, the thing that had terrified me when we were about to publish it. And in some ways, my worst fears did come true. 
but they just didn't come true permanently. And that's the story I tell in the memoir. Yes, but they said that you're traipsing around the country spreading lies about the family because obviously it's uh, for someone who hasn't read it. There's, there's two. There's the workbook and there's the Courage to Heal, the first book. And it's just little stories, really, isn't it? Kind of throughout, it's been, gosh, it's been many, many years since I've looked at it, but what I remember is it's little, little stories of, of your experiences, really. Well, it, the Courage to Heal is primarily um, a, a roadmap of the healing process. So it's really how to heal. And it was the first book that really gave survivors of sexual violence um, a roadmap for once this has happened to you, is it possible to reclaim your life and heal? You know, to, as we talked at the beginning, to become stronger in the broken places. Um, and so that's, so, you know, we gave hope to people um, in that way. As a, someone that filled in the workshop at the workbook, it felt very daring even to write it down, you know, even to see it written down in black and white. It was like shocking to read it because it was before I'd ever spoken. Now I speak publicly, I'm a sexual violence activist as well, so I'd never written it down. And it was shocking to see the words bounce back at me and land inside of me. It was like, oh, <laughs> it's very powerful to see it written down, isn't it? Yeah, in those first books, you know, my personal story was just kind of like a little tiny thread. It wasn't primarily about me at all. It was, you know, how to heal. It was giving people a roadmap. And I interviewed many, many other survivors, and their stories were really predominant because I, I feel like people learn the most um, when it's on the back of a story. Yes. You know, I think storytelling is incredibly powerful um, and, and makes what could be dry information or, you know, just information, it makes it come to life when you see it implemented in someone's life. So that book, The Courage to Heal, was full of stories in addition to the roadmap of the healing process. And my story was just a little bit, you know, so, it, and it took me, that book came out um, almost 35 years ago. Oh, wow. And it took me uh, many decades before I was really ready to tell my personal story, which I do in The Burning Light of Two Stars. Yeah. It's it's all about me and, and the implications of uh, being a survivor, but more this very tumultuous relationship with my mother. And, you know, what I tried to answer in the memoir, you know, I think each, and when there's a memoir, the memoirist is trying to answer some kind of question. And you know, I think in the best memoirs, there's there's a question underneath the story. And the question in mine was, can you caretake a parent who betrayed you in the past? Absolutely. And I think that's a question that, you know, many people face as they, you know, are dealing with elderly parents. Um, the relationships weren't always good. And they may not be as extreme of a situation as mine was, but even smaller disagreements can get papered over, you know, and those rifts can be cemented. And there can be, um, you know, distance or difficult dynamics. And then a parent gets to the end of their life. And the, the child, the adult child has to decide, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to step up? Am I going to step back? Because ultimately, I believe that if someone betrays you, especially in the most severe ways, like abuse, they lose the right to any expectation that you should do something. You know, like I think I didn't have to take care of my mother because of our history. 10 years, yeah, 10 years after one conversation, she said, I'm moving to California, you know, for the rest of my life. And I was, uh, I just freaked out because, 
you know, I felt like we had achieved some degree of reconciliation, but I felt it was dependent on this buffer of distance between us. Yes. You know, 3,000 miles. are living apart from each other. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and the idea of her coming to my town, and also she was starting to develop dementia. So, you know, she was declining. And the idea of me becoming her caregiver and having her live near me, I, I just thought it would completely throw a bomb into my entire life and uh, disrupt everything. And I, I also which, wasn't which sure. Which it did I to some extent, really, didn't it? It did. It, did. it, it did definitely did. But I, I just didn't know if I was capable, you know, of, of basically loving her up close, you know, like without this distance and all these rules and boundaries. And so that was part of me wanted to see, could this, op- was it an opportunity that I could, he, that we could heal this relationship the rest of the way. Um, and then on the other hand, I just was, you know, just in such a complete state of anxiety as I got closer to the time she was moving to California. So I was, I was conflicted myself, yeah. you know, and then she arrived. And that's the story I tell is what happened from the time of that phone call until her death. Um, yeah, but, and it was, but... it was quite challenging, you know, that there were a lot of things about when someone has dementia the you know anyone who's had this experience the the characteristics especially in the early stages are you know intense anxiety uh, volatility rage sudden rages um, all these things that had been the dynamics in my relationship with my mother all my life that I had resolved to some degree mm-hmm. and figured out how to interact with her despite that prickliness and suddenly I was being triggered all over the place. Yeah. You know, they resurfaced and they were yeah, magnified really, weren't they? Yes. Yeah. 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 And it was always, um, I've got a sense, but it never happened, that you always lived in hope that one day she'd say, yeah, I believe you. I'm, I'm sorry what happened. Or you, you never got the apology or you never got her acknowledgement of the truth of what really took place. Yeah. As, as you know, in the in the story I tell, there's a lot of times she kind of tiptoes up to the door of that, but she could never quite go yeah. all the way. And then I have to deal with my own reaction to that. Yeah. You know, that would have been at the top of the list. It probably you know, would have been the only thing on the list because I was so obsessed with healing and it was, it was all I could see, which I think is pretty typical of people who were dealing with trauma, yeah. you know, in the early stages. But by the time, you know, now if you said, who are you, you know, I would say, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, I'm a workshop leader, I'm an author, I'm a writing teacher, um, you know, I'm a hiker, I'm a swimmer. It is an obsession. I was the same of healing, healing, healing. Something always drove me to heal and I would do every, every therapy, every alternative therapy. I've tried them all. And then I think you then have the ability to look out beyond yourself. And so... It, then it's not so impactful, it's not as important, but then that's because you've got to a really good place with it all as well. So it, it is brilliant that that's way down, not even on your list. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that is, and that's really good for people that may be listening right now that can't imagine ever getting to that place as well, that actually you can with the right support and the right work and the right, um, I think, commitment. You, you can heal, you really can heal. And that's, that's an important message. So, yeah, I think people would find it it hard to understand how you could reconcile with her and and why you chose to reconcile with her. 
Uh, you know, my mother and I had an incredible bond, you know, mm-hmm. and even though part of that bond uh, was traumatic, mm-hmm. uh, Part of it was good. My mother, as I said, she was very complex, and she had, she had some really good qualities. Yeah. In I really to liked her. her. You really brought her to life in the pages, and I think she would have been fun to be around, acting and all of her, her quirks. And yeah, she sounded like a fun woman. She was beloved by a lot of people, yeah. uh, but she was very hard to have as a mother, yeah. you know. And um, so I think part of it was that she wasn't, you know. I think there are some people. Um, who were just kind of unremittingly violent, abusive, you know, people you you really want out of your life on a permanent basis. There's no redeeming quality for any kind of direct relationship. You know, even if you come to a place of peace about them internally, you still wouldn't want them in your life in any way. And I really support people in that. And I think it's important for me to say it because I've written now two books on the subject of reconciliation, uh, kind of a how-to book called I Thought We'd Never Speak Again, and then this mm-hmm. memoir, which is also on the same theme. And I, I really want to stress to anyone watching that reconciliation is a, is a very personal choice, and it, it's a very individual circumstance. And sometimes you could want it, and it's not possible uh, for many, many different reasons. But that trying to reconcile with someone is not always the best option. You know, there are, there are other times that the best thing you could possibly do is set boundaries and walk away and then create the best life you can separate from that person because Absolutely. the toxicity of the relationship is so extreme. With my mother, there was, it was a very mixed bag, you know, and there were qualities I loved about her. And I think, you know, it's interesting now that I said I was reflecting on her because it was eight years past the time she died yesterday. And now that she's dead, it's interesting, my relationship with her has continued. And I think, you know, there are probably people watching or listening who have had this experience that in a way, I'm not having to deal with the challenges of dealing with her as an actual person. And I've, I've actually grown a lot in my relation. I feel like I have an active relationship with her and my, mm-hmm. my perspective on her is mostly positive now. Like I really focus more on the, the positive qualities and the things she gave me that were positive instead of focusing on, you know, the really incredibly challenging and difficult things that I struggled with for so many years. Yeah, I, mean, well, I, I never well, would have thought I would get to the, I mean, I, I'm shocked actually, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, things seemed so set in stone. And I think that's one of the things I really like to emphasize to people is that when it comes to human relationships, things could change even when they seem impossible. I mean, and some things are impossible, as I just said, but I never would have thought that I would have, you know, been taking care of my mother at the end of her life. I I mean, if you had said that to me when I was in my 30s, I would have looked at you and said you were absolutely crazy, you know, but, but life changed, I changed, she changed, circumstances changed. And I think if I had felt I had to, it never would have worked. But I made a choice. So I felt empowered. And then I also needed a ton of support, you know, because, as I said, it was triggering for me, a lot of the experience of being her caregiver was very, very difficult. And I, I had to get myself back into therapy, because I had troubled at first differentiating between the past relationship and the present. I joined support groups for caregivers. You know, I just got every kind of support I possibly could um, to go through that. It was about a six and a half year period from the time she moved until she died. 
what came across to me was actually underneath it all, it, there was love. There was strong love but for you to her, even though despite what happened and from her to you, um, you know, in the she was able to change. So she, when you came out as gay, she said, oh, what, what, what have you done to me? I'll never have grandchildren. But then she absolutely adored. <laughs> You've confirmed my worst fear about you. Yeah, but then she adored Karen and, and she said... Um, One of her little things she always said was... Who says lesbians shouldn't have children? You and Karen have done such a great job with those kids. And, and I, it was I would just laugh every time. You know, so she, and, and I would walk into, the thing that was so poignant, I think, for me was that, you know, towards the end of her life, I felt like, almost like a second umbilical cord grew between us. And I, I became very attached to her in the final years of her life. And I would go see her, and when I would walk into her room, she would light up as if, like, the sun had just come out. And she, her whole being would awaken, you know, from this kind of stupor she was in a lot of the time. And, you know, she would just say, you're the best daughter in the whole world. And, you know, I had longed for that kind of love and approval my entire life, and it was, I said ironic that I was getting it at the end of her life. And in a way, she was no longer herself. I mean, she was, I had a different mother at the end than the mother I had known. I mean, there was a certain point where we were warring again over her independence, you know, yes. and that was very, very challenging. But at a certain point, as the disease progressed, and she got older, all the fight went out of her, and she became sweet. She turned mm -hmm. sweet. I didn't think that would happen. I thought she would probably become bitter, nasty, and really hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. But instead, I was lucky, and she turned sweet, and I was suddenly getting beamed at me this unconditional love that I had always wanted. And yet, the person in front of me was really a shell of who she had been before. But it's sort of like when the pers her personality structure broke down, Underneath was probably the love that had always been there. Yeah. And, and that's what, what really shone through the pages, that underneath it all, there was always love. And, and that was, it was so strong. It really, you really felt it so strong. There, there was an awful period, though, near to when she was passing, when she just started to scream. And she wouldn't scream when you were there, but when you, I think she'd fallen again, and you were then at the hospital, and she was screaming and screaming, and the word you said something like that the word help had been trapped inside her or you, you suddenly had an understanding or an insight into maybe what had been going on for her, but the screaming sounded just awful. Yeah, I think I think anyone who's, you know, been a caregiver um, probably has had these kind of experiences that I wrote about. I, I really wanted to, um, it was very important to me not to create some kind of like a sappy, happy ending, you know, yeah. even though I think my mother and I came incredibly far mm -hmm. and I, I came incredibly far. I think I was, I was able to open my heart to her in a way I never had before, which has really had a huge influence on my life since, you know, it's like I, I broke through a barrier in terms of my capacity to love in loving her at the end of her life. It kind of jumped into your heart in a different way. It gave you a, a new capacity to love by caring for your mum all the way to the end. It changed something in you. Yeah, it definitely shifted something in me. Uh, I, I saw her differently. And I think, you know, I think this is some, just maturity, you know, and getting older and having children and grandchildren. 
there was a period in my life when I looked at my mother as my nemesis, and I only saw her in relation to all the negative things that she did towards me. Yeah. Um, and as I got older, you know, and as I matured, and as I, especially, I think, right around the time my daughter went to college, my youngest daughter went to college, and I remember dropping her off at the airport. This was not the first year, but the second year. Mm-hmm. And going home, and instead of being devastated that she was gone, I felt kind of happy. Like, I got to go back to my empty nest, mm-hmm. independent life after 25 years of raising children. And I, I think that was the moment I realized that my mother was so much more than a mother to me. And even though I intellectually knew that, I had never really gotten it in my bones that she had a whole life that had nothing to do with me. And I was able to, it's almost like like zooming up to 30,000 feet and looking down and realizing, you know, thinking about the era she grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm from a Jewish family. I thought about the <laughs> the, the generations before her and all the trauma that had been passed down, the epigenetics that she carried. I thought about the fact that, you know, my grandfather who abused me was her father and that she grew up with these immigrant parents, very poor in New York City. She was ashamed of them or ashamed of her home. For me, writing this book really was an incredible part of my healing process, you know, and and my grieving process um, after she died because it was... through writing and rewriting and rewriting, I was able to put my relationship with her into a much bigger perspective. And, you know, the early drafts of the book, I always use a lot of what's called beta readers, which mm-hmm. means you send your manuscript out for people to critique or to yeah. respond to. And in the early drafts, people would say, oh, my God, your mother, she's so difficult, you know, must have been so hard. And I knew that I wasn't anywhere near finished writing when I got that kind of feedback because I never wanted to you know, write a hatchet job on my mother. I wanted it to be a very, very human story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 10 years later, when I had the final draft and I sent it out, people said, oh my God, on this page, I hated you and I loved your mother. And on this page, I hated your mother and I loved you. And that's when I knew I was finished. And you know, mm-hmm. earlier... When in the interview, you just said you really liked my mother. And that makes me very happy because she was a diff- really difficult person, but I, I really wanted people to um, love and admire her as a character. I mean, I wanted her to be a fully fleshed out person. And part of that for me was making myself more vulnerable as the drafts of the book went on. Um, I have a, a colleague who read some early drafts and she just trashed the book and tore it apart and basically said, you know, you're making yourself into the hero and your mother into the villain. And this is awful. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't use those words, but she was very strong. And she said, Laura, this is not the courage to heal. It's the courage to reveal. And so I put that up on my wall. um, And after a few months where I just set the book aside, I was so uh, distraught from her feedback. I got back to it and I really worked on really showing my own underbelly more. And my own flaws and the ways I failed in this relationship as well. And I think it makes a much more dynamic, honest story um, instead of, you know, one where I'm the hero and she's the villain. No, no, it's what came across was, as you just explained earlier, you know, her struggles, her journey and her life. And I always think whether she really disbelieved you or not, she's got to live with that um, knowing that perhaps her father did this, you know, she could never be 100% sure. And 
and the other things that used to take place when he used to um, check if people's breasts were growing. You know, she she had a notion that it wasn't a hundred percent right, so she had to live with that. And I think part of her must have known, you know, and uh, to cover that up and just to pretend or just to tell you that's not what she thought. I don't think that's easy. I think that's that's hard for someone to keep that inside as well, you know. I mean, one thing I, you know, things I've realized about her um, that are on the positive side, and one is that, you know, she she was my mother. She was a huge influence shaping me. And I feel like she helped me become a woman who had the strength to face the sexual abuse and many other things in my life that have been hard. And it's sort of like, I feel like she pushed me over the finish line, but she couldn't get there herself. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, we try to do that with our children. I think we try to help them become stronger, more capable, you know, um, than we were, you know, and, and to try to not pass on the same kind of damage. And and in some ways, like, she gave me the strength to do what she could not do. Yeah. No, that, that is lovely. She pushed me over the finish line. That is a really uh, powerful thing to say. And also at the end, um, you and your brother kind of, didn't reconcile, but you, you'd had a bit of a, a bridge between your relationship. And at the end, you, you said, I don't know what religion you, you uh, experience or you follow, but you said that you wanted to watch her being cremated. And you went through your own kind of um, forgiveness ceremony where the two of you apologized for the way that you'd let each other down. And that was actually, it was really beautiful to read as well, but powerful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think with my brother, um, there was... You know, I think this is typical. Women, daughters often become the caregivers and the brothers. Uh, my brother promised to show up, but he really didn't show up. Uh, I mean, he showed up occasionally when it suited him, but I did all the heavy. Karen and I did the heavy lifting, and I was really pissed at him. So it, we did have some uh, healing we had to do um, because, you know, he's, he's still, he's the last surviving member of my nuclear family. And... Um, I really want to hold on to that relationship. And talking with Karen, I think we all need a Karen. I just was in love with her as well. What an amazing woman. And your mum clearly adored her as well. She's just, uh, you know, people talk about a rock or whatever, but yeah, she's just, I think I would just trust whatever she said. <laughs> she just made so much sense. Yeah, Karen definitely, um, she was a huge, you know, she really helped just, she helped take care of my mother. Um, I was traveling a lot for work and she would always step up when I was gone. And even when I wasn't, she, she create, you know, planted a garden for my mother. She just really showed up in a lot of um, different ways. Um, but she also confronted me, you know, she was the person who confronted me about kind of this habitual way I saw my mother as the villain. Mm -hmm. And she really helped me have a more open position, you know, mm -hmm. and not just, repeating the same pattern of this is who she is this is our history i had a story i was telling and i think part of the story of the memoir is how i had to admit that my story about the relationship wasn't wholly true mm -hmm. i like what karen said it actually really helped me um when you were talking about all the things that your mum couldn't do and she said well let's just focus on all the things that she actually can do and that just, it, it jumped into my own personal life and really helped me tremendously, just that one little line. So we are really kind of at the end of our interview. The time just whizzes by so quickly. Right. Any 
last words that you'd like to say or any advice for anyone that's listening that's maybe struggling with their relationship with their mum or someone else? Yeah, I think to remain open and that that, you know, reconciliation or healing a relationship can happen on many different levels. You know, there's the kind of reconciliation we maybe long for, which is like, in the movies, it would be like the deathbed reconciliation scene, you know, where everything is resolved and someone apologizes. That's so rare. Yes. Um, but there, there are many other ways to come to peace in a damaged or broken or challenging relationship. And, you know, some of them are, like my mother, we agreed to disagree about the sexual abuse. Um, and there's also, you know, a limited relationship with a lot of boundaries, which is not ideal, but it might mean that, you know, you could attend the same wedding together. And when, when all those options are impossible, there's also a way to come to peace inside yourself. Um, as one woman put it to me, she said, I closed the door, but I left the porch light on. And I, I just, I love that image. I think it's possible to move on and let go of the damage, um, even if things are not fully resolved. I think that's a, a beautiful place to to leave it there. Just leave the porch light on. So thank you so much, Laura, for taking time out of your day to speak to us. Uh, oh, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Me too. Unbroken healing through storytelling. If you haven't already, go on, download, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. It really helps us get this important and life-changing message out to as many people as possible. There is already a selection of fantastic episodes to choose from and a brand new one coming soon. Unbroken, healing through storytelling. Playing now on all the main platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher for Android, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and here. Play Unbroken, the podcast with Madeline Black.